This is the process.ink. Hi, I'm Tom Benedek. This is the process, and I am in Burbank, California, visiting with Emily Maya Mills in her garage. <laughs> and uh, we're going to talk about uh, comedy and acting and your comedy album which just came out by a thread and it's on iTunes mm -hmm. and it's on, on a special thing record so people can Google a special thing records and find it. Yes. And uh, yeah, I listened to it and it's, it's very funny. You're, you're, I knew you were a very funny woman, but uh, <laughs> it's a very funny album. And you're, Thank you. you've been involved with Upright Citizens Brigade for a long time. Yeah. And you've acted in a lot of different television shows over the years mm -hmm. and movies. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what's going on? What are you up to? Oh my gosh, it's so funny. I just had this conversation with my manager last night because we were out at a show and I was like, I feel like... I know I finally settled this summer has been so slow in terms of production for so many people, particularly actors that I know. So there's this panic about, you know, actual work being slow. But in that time over the summer, I wrote a pilot with a partner and developed two other basically pitches for uh, this deal. UCB has a has a pod deal with UCP, which I mean, a lot of nuts and bolts about that are off the record, but they're developing stuff. And Where's so UCP, UCP is the universal cable productions. Oh, okay. So it's a cable side of universal and um, yeah, just been having a lot of fun sort of developing show ideas down that avenue. And then another the partner that I wrote the pilot with, we're also developing another pitch that we've immediately become more excited about than the actual script we just finished, but we're going, you know, we're excited about all of it, but it's been a productive time in terms of like, you know, creating in the void, I guess, because it's yeah. been kind of quiet. Yeah, so that's the good news about not having work work, right. is that you can do your own work and do creative work, and that's a big lesson for me all the time. Yeah. Like if, there's no, you know, if there's no job, then yeah. I'm, forced to, I'm forced to just work on my own stuff. Yes. And working on your own stuff is what really can lead to the most reward and totally. the most... Uh, fulfillment totally most of the time. yeah I, I can kind of connect that back like I think I've done a couple of one-woman shows that have ended up you know I, I had a wonderful write-up on one of them they've been the most creatively fulfilling things both of them that I put up at UCB they're both character ensemble you know sort of this like amalgam of characters was the the show itself but those came out of like you know downtime dark time being depressed and like you know feeling in between stuff and certainly I've I've learn to try to harness that, those quiet points. Mm -hmm. And so during just like a woman, if you're creating, what, what was the, what was the, were the one woman shows called? How were they themed? The first one was called Hope Fiend. And I think it was less themed. It was a little bit more like, I would say in terms of the threads, I think it was a little bit more of an amateur. There wasn't like a, an exact through line and it was originally titled assembly of weirdos <laughs> so it was quite literally that it was just an assembly of weirdos mm. and then the next one was called uh this one was much more themed but it was called god hates figs and um it was it was basically a tour of a museum of humanity I guess is the way that we themed it and framed it and it was pretty you know socially analytical i would say is the best way to describe it and so how would you come up with the characters for that did you purposefully group sets of characters do you just sit around here and just jam out a character that you would improvise verbally or is it like in a context of a workshop with other other creators or how do you do that yeah it's funny like i think with the shows i've written in the past i will i will marinate and ruminate on those in my head for a very long time before i start to click in on these ideas that you know some of them will be sort of half-baked before the other starts to bubble up and i can see the connection and why 
you know, why that would be a funny compliment to this character and why this would be sort of the union exploration of these ideas or whatever. And so I think it's been like sort of mosaic style in my head the last couple of times I've done it because I've never been able, especially with one person shows, I've never been able to like sit down and script it. So I'll get the idea and yeah, it'll be, I'll find it on my feet a lot. There are a lot of shows called like what are considered bit shows, mm -hmm. not traditional stand-up shows, shows where you're going, the purpose of it is to go do some, a bit, mm -hmm. anything other than stand-up, a uh, character, you know, an mm -hmm. audience interactive thing or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And uh, that has been a good development space for that. Mm -hmm. And lately, over the past couple of years, most of the character work I've done has been almost on spec. Like someone will contact me and be like, I want you to do this show, this character show, can you do something for it? And then I'll ma it'll make me have to do something that I end up really liking. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there are a few things that like, the show will be themed, whether it's, you know, here's a themed show about uh, lounge singers. And then I created a character that was a lounge singer who only did covers of Pussy Riot songs, which was really fun. And uh, that, she, then she had sort of a character, a lot of banter in between that, that supported the why of that. Did you sing a Pussy Riot song? Yeah, in the end, it all added up to that. Easy listening version? Or yes, what? exactly. It was an easy listening version of a Pussy Riot song. And uh, I had I had bedazzled and sewn flowers onto one of those ski masks with the eyes and mouth cut out. Uh -huh. So it was sort of the easy listening version of that very strange and frightening punk rock mask um, that I put on at the very end and did a, a slow but jazzy rendition of that sounds great Putin Putin putt <laughs> and so you would when you're doing one of those like what what's the hierarchy of those kinds of shows like I don't you know you know there's like regular improv which is sort of the classic style of improv and this is sort of the hierarchy at UCB or this is everywhere you know uh, there there are a few different places that have shows like that but at UCB is this is a really good job of trying to find reasons to hook everything into one show so it's like you know it's an improv theater first but equally it's a sketch writing and performing theater as well and then the way that that sort of I think it's uh, harnessed into entertaining shows for the masses something that you can like verbally pitch and say hey here's a fun show that you would want to go see on mm -hmm. a Friday night they tend to find reasons and ways to squeeze it into a theme mm -hmm. so whether that's holiday based or movie release based or you know there's been Game of Thrones things themed shows there's um and are those ideas generated before that's sort of based on what people seem to be doing in the bit and sketch yeah people yeah producer, you know sort of you know offshoot kinds of shows that are going on all the time there yeah like people will pitch show ideas to the artistic director and usually people who are already exist within the community are already performing there and are like known writers and performers and so they'll go to the artistic director and be like we have an idea for a show and she'll say, at this point, it's Beth Appel, uh, first woman AD for Los Angeles, just came into power <laughs> in the last few months, which is awesome. That's and the first one? In, in LA. You know, New York has a woman AD as well. And what was she doing before she was doing that? Beth, just kicking ass and taking names. Like she's She's been writing on shows, and she's been writing and producing her own shows there at the theater and teaching. And uh, she had a one-woman show that was like so funny. So funny. I mean, she's very, very undeniably talented all the way around, performer, writer, very funny person. So she was writing and doing shows at the theater, writing for TV and, you know, popping around those kinds of jobs. And now, what is she in charge? Like, what does that mean? What are the different things that she's in charge of there? Um, as the artistic director, she, it's really curating the schedule of shows that you see on you know on the website on the schedule so there's now two theaters really there's three because there's the UCB Franklin which is like UCB classic coke on Franklin the first theater that opened up over 12 years ago or about 12 years ago and then there's Sunset which is the newer big flag flagship theater inside of the training center which is like a massive building where is that building it's on Sunset uh, just east of Western okay and then within that building next to a cafe that's sort of like a student cafe, there's another space that's 
a little bit more like a rec room. It's a little bit like people always refer to it, it feels like a student union or something, which I don't think is a bad thing. It's a big space where there's a lot more of the experimental shows that you know might not get stage time on the main stages the way that the, that used to be the process when UCB was smaller. It would just be like, what's, you know, late night shows were crazy. People could get up and try out the most insane stuff. And the things that got butts and seats would stick, and things that got a reputation for being really funny and out there would stick. But these days it's harder because there's a limited number of slots and so many very, very good shows and very, very good performers. So you have the, the inner sanctum stage, is what it's called, that side stage that's like mostly for experimentation. And so do the midnight shows still exist? Yeah. Or, but it, but there's, this is sort of like a marquee midnight type space that goes on. Yeah, it's almost like it's more, I would say it's more like the, uh, the training ground for like if you're a student and you want to get to that main stage level and you want to start figuring out how to produce and just get more stage time and that kind of thing or there's also one of the longest running UCB bit shows which is it's called it's a sketch show it's basically an open mic for sketch but it's like a it's always been a very popular show and it's uh it's always been a really good resource for up-and-coming performers because you can be you know, unestablished and not have a main stage show, and then you can get a spot on Not Too Shabby is the name of the show on Thursday nights. Uh -huh. Get a spot on Not Too Shabby and go put up a sketch. And if you, you know, bring the house down, people are going to hear about it, and you're going to be able to kind of generate more opportunity that way. Great. And I know someone who has a play. One of my former students, Danny, has a play there. It's on Thursday. I think it was last Thursday night. So where would that have been in this hierarchy? It's like dudes being dudes. Or oh yeah, like my friend, you know Danny Cohen. Yeah. Danny was, Cohen. Yeah, did, <laughs> oh my God. Danny team. Cohen's on my digital team. We're on the really? same team. Yeah, oh, we're, wow. on, we're on a UCB digital okay. team together oh, cool. making stuff. Yeah. Awesome. That's, That's so cool. Awesome. So what do you do on the, di the digital team is part of the production side for the web and for TV and stuff? Yeah, like it's sort of the best way to describe it right now is that it's the fourth stage is how they would describe it. You've got Franklin, you've got Sunset, you've got the Inner Sanctum, and then you've got UCP Comedy, which is another way for people to, you know, perform, create, and put stuff up. And so it's another team. Like right now, UCB has always had Herald teams, which is the, the improv teams, long-form improv teams. And then about eight to 10 years ago, they added mod teams, which are the sketch version of a house team, a house improv team. These are sketch teams. And so you have your sort of signature teams that are created by and for the theater to support and help develop the best you know, talent that are coming through and studying at the theater. And then now digital is like, you know, the other version of that. It's the, the video web content based version of that. So you don't do it for an audience, you just do it in a studio? Yeah, we're just creating for the web right now. And is the studio at the place on Western Sunset? We do have, yeah, production studio. Don't Think Productions is the name of UCB's production studio. And that space, there's a big chunk of that, that building on Sunset that is production. And we really just use it to meet. And it's houses the equipment. So we get to meet there and we get to check out equipment and we get insurance, but the rest of it, we, you know, we find our own location. Oh, you go around town and Yeah, it. yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, so that sounds, that sounds like a lot of fun. And, and so do you, is, do you have, is there like a schedule where you have st shows that you have to do at certain times? Well, it's a little different. It's like, we, we definitely have Thursday nights blocked out. That's our meeting night for digital. So everybody's meeting on the same night and you always know that that's set aside for that. Then in addition to that, we have these sort of checkpoints and we're in terms of our production cycles. So the idea is that we produce for our team, we're doing a web series. There are other teams that are doing sketch-based stuff and another team that's doing unscripted. So everyone's format's a little different. And for us, the goal was to do four series in a year. Oh, wow. And when did this start? It started last November, but <laughs> we're going over a 12-month cycle because it was... Uh, it was slow getting started and there was a lot of stuff sort of being figured out between like when the UCB show started on CISO, which is another thing. NBC has this digital platform called CISO.com and the UCB has a show on CISO.com and it's just called the UCB show and it's really fun. It's like this 
point and shoot variety show. It's really well produced, but it just is like a live show on the stage at sunset. And um, it's it's so fun. Like it's it, it's a little bit like throwback to early SNL to me just because it's like it, the bits are so insane and there aren't a lot of other places you could, could see anything like this. The energy's there, the audience is there. Um, people come up with, do, do, do the performers have character, recurring characters that they do, that sort of do, you know, the way Saturday Night Live does that? Well, no, because it's not, it's not quite as congealed. It's more like a live variety show. So you're not like, you're not cutting to narratives. And is it, it's not on the web, it's on the cable channel. Or see, so is, it is on the web. It's on the, it's a web channel, but it's sort of like a TV channel on the web. Yes. It's C-E-S-O, right? It's, no, it's. S E E S O dot com. S E E S O. Okay, and so that's a, and so like I'm I'm like you know I want to I want to do I want to do this so like, you know, <laughs> what do I how do I get in there I like gotta you know and, and what happens if I'm not funny then I just get thrown on the curb and I have to go like that you know. Pacoima version of this if I want to keep doing it? Or how does that, how you does mean that in terms of like getting up and getting on stage at yeah, UCB? Yeah, like I just got to take, people take classes. People take classes, yeah, I mean that's how do you... Do they audition as well if they've been in another city doing this for a long time? Unfortunately, uh, there's not. There used to be a system for that where like if in the beginning if you were coming from uh, Second City or IO, you could start at level two in the classes, but I don't think they do that anymore because, I think I saw you had a copy of the book, UCB has a very specific specific curriculum yeah I ordered the book and I was gonna read it but it's like you know it's like the, it's like an encyclopedia <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was gonna get a brochure you know I was like oh I'll just skim through this and I'll learn to do it, it is you know, a textbook like, like for a, students you know Spolin book or something it's yeah like, no, it's more like uh, Robert McKee or something like that. <laughs> so. It's um, and it's written by one of the guys who's on like a show that I, is on Veep or something like that. Yeah, it's all four. Yeah, it was written by I believe three of the four co-founders and then two other guys who are teachers and long term, long time alumni. Um, so calling the guys on Veep is like really demeaning him. He's done so much more than that. <laughs> well, I mean, that show is so good and wildly popular and like, he, it's so good. It's so, so funny. Yeah, he is the guy on beat. <laughs> and what's his name? Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so I have to take a class and I have to really shine in the class and then I can take the next class or how many Ooh. classes do you take and with and not be very good. Do they, is there an age limit? No age limit, no, so not at all. So in a fact, five-year-old can go, well, a 75-year-old can I go? I think it's all ages, but if you're under like 17, you would be given fair warning that they don't they don't try to control the content or nature of yeah. the subject matter in the class, so it wouldn't be advisable if you're, you know, for a child. 90%, 95% of people are like, just out of college or they've been acting for a while performing doing something for a while yeah in LA that's probably true in New York I think it gets less true as time goes on because in New York you get a lot of like lawyers and copywriters and people who are just looking to like you know shake it off and you know have an experience and learn how to think differently or whatever yeah. and that's that's definitely true for New York and in fact one thing about the age limit thing is I just shot something the other day with a like I was sitting with three or four of the improv teachers who've been teaching their for a long time and they were saying how what a bummer it is that older students in their improv classes tend to be better like they get game which is the basis of the curriculum there they're funny they have life experience they bring all of the stuff they're smart they bring all this stuff to the table and they're really good improvisers but then they get they get embarrassed or like somehow self-conscious about the fact that they're older than a lot of other people in the class and they don't stick around as long and the teachers were saying what a bummer that was because they're like they're so good they're so fun to watch and well do they why don't they, they don't stick around because i think they, they like feel some or they feel like you know it's not they know they're not going to break if they just did it to try it or maybe i think it's a little bit of both they did they did it to try it they don't have the hunger to like try to win the system or something yeah. and and i think but ultimately i think there's like a little bit of like self-consciousness about being older in the class which i think is the 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 least important reason to mm. walk away yeah but there's less opportunity you know if you're older there's not the same kind of opportunity for you know i mean Maybe there is. Maybe but what if you became like the most brilliant improviser the world has yeah. ever seen? <laughs> or you, just get, you just get a commercial or something. <laughs> show, you know? uh, yeah. um, so, but, but kid, people come there out of school, <clears throat> young people, and that's sort of like their main focus in terms of 
or they may also be writing or they may also be doing other kinds yeah. of acting at the same time. But yeah, I see people come and really treat it as grad school. I think I did that. Too. I, I, I maybe formed my own between like the post-college acting classes combined with, I was always on like two sketch teams. I was taking, you know, improv and sketch classes from two different theaters. I was like creating my own curriculum for essentially a master's program. And I think, and now UCB is actually um, accredited. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. So it's a, it's a, as a, as a graduate school or is it not as a graduate, but undergrad you can get credits. Oh, uh, wow. I don't exactly know what the you know red tape stuff is on that, but it's possible. So someone can go take classes there and then apply it toward their degree. Yeah. That's Some awesome. Way. Yeah. And so you started you you came you started like when you were just out of college and, or you were here for kicking around here for a while. I was like uh, after college, after college I was uh, home for a couple of years. Working in PR, and then I got down here, and I think You're I was home in San Francisco. Home in San Francisco, yeah. You living with your 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 hippie parents? Uh, my mom was actually living in Seattle, working for Microsoft. So I was living in the basement of our old house, with, okay. where she rented it out. Your mom uh, worked for Microsoft. She did. Well, I, on your comedy <laughs> album, you make it seem like she lives in a tree. <laughs> Well, no, she 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 would if she could. To be honest, she'd live so in the tree she if she gave could. Up and went into software or something. I think no. She's actually an architect. She was an architect. Oh. Has been. Um, but she did when she. I, I always say like when the '80s hit, she cut off her long ponytail, got a BMW, and went to work for PG&E. A pantsuit, whole nine. It was like, oh. it was a very, it was a very uh, hard turn but she's not not who she was yeah. but she did you but know she did have to she did to cut off that ponytail enjoy the real world yeah pantsuits and the whole nine yeah okay so you so you came you stayed up there and then you came down here and that was sort of like became more or less a focus and then you, you ended up joining the family, so to speak, at UCB. Yeah, when UCB opened, I had been kicking around doing um, sketch and improv with like these sort of indie fringe uh, teams that were the one way that I knew how to keep active, but I didn't know how to, I, I had no connection to any kind of community other than the group that I was in kind of bouncing around doing very unstructured long form improv with. And then when UCB opened, I was like in line for the first Sunday ASCAT, the first weekend that it opened with the improv group that I had been playing with. And then that Monday, the I, I was managing a theater and we had just moved into a new space and the guy I was working for really wanted to get the classrooms rented out. So I put it on Craigslist and UCB hit me up. They rented all the rooms there. I met the uh, managing director, Susan Hale, and she was like, we need help. And I was able to get an internship almost like the first week awesome. that they opened. Oh, well, so you were like from the beginning in LA and that's, and it was, what had been in New it, it's been in New York yeah. and it was a big deal in New York, but yeah. it was, it didn't become like a, massive enterprise mm -hmm. I think until they moved out here yeah. that succeeded and the expansion really worked and, and they started to like you know think really wisely and they they employed a lot of really smart people I think like they like they, you yes <laughs> yes <laughs> it's true but even you know administratively I think they employed people who were business minded who were you know fresh out of certain schools who had a love for comedy but also uh, more developed you know, left brain as well. Uh -huh. Is that the correct brain I'm talking about? Right I think brain. left, right brain is math. Know. No, I think know. left. I think left. Yeah, the left brain is the one that's the, the thinker, the organizer. Or yeah. So yeah. so yeah, they they found some good people with various strengths to help them grow and and were thoughtful about the way they wanted to grow and have so far succeeded in putting one foot in front of the other and kind of making all of those those dreams come true. And in terms of your writing and your acting, sort of, you know, your more conventional acting, your improv, how does the improv, you know, it's, how does one feed the other? Do you always use your improv skills when you're acting and when you're doing those other things? How does it? Well, you know, it's it's been interesting for me because I when I came here from like a conservatory style acting school, I went to Emerson and it was like a legit program. And then I, I felt like I didn't really click with acting until I got out here and I was studying with a guy named Anthony Mindel who is, and this is like a straight acting scene study thing, but he's like, he's like a, you always have your script in your hand, you're never off book and you're kind of just like, he, he tries to take away all of the premeditated sort of mechanics. You're, 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 you're identifying every beat. 
for its emotional, whatever its emotional. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, I think that you're learning to live from like a very real receptive, immediate place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I think he would also describe it as like, don't think, you know, you're not, you're not, it's not cerebral. Your approach to the work is not cerebral. Mm -hmm. And I was doing that for a long time while also studying improv. And I think where I ended up is that I have a love for that. I have a love for uh, performance that, and acting um, where you can't see the, the threads, mm -hmm. you know, and that tends to be, that's why improv is one of my favorite art forms even, you know, forms of performance or comedy performance is just the, the most beautiful thing to watch, the funniest thing when it's successful. And I love it. And I also, I, so I think that, yeah, I bring that with my approach to acting even when they're, and I think it probably, to some degree hindered me for a long time when it came to auditions because when it comes to auditions it's a very different beast you you have nerves you have a room full of you know very skeptical people you have a room full of you know judging eyes and and you're hot and you had to run over from the parking lot and you need to have a system in place for you know attacking a, a written script mm -hmm. and it took me a long time to figure out how to marry those two ideas or feelings around performance and the fact that I you know I wanted to be alive yeah. I wanted to feel alive. I wanted to feel like, you know, like it's actually happening and we're all like genuinely here, but. So how do you, do, I mean, if you, if you're, if you're given a few pages with, you know, highlighted lines that you have to read, how do you apply, how do you, fly, you know, you, you spoke of flying, you know, like when you, when you, when something you're doing improv, you feel like you're flying. I mean, that's sort of like you're, you're watching the, the performers fly on stage because they've sort of risen into this space with the work yeah i think there's a pretty transcendent thing happening when you're free of like those like those wires for sure and you can see it sometimes when you're watching just like the most ultimate performance that's especially live i think another reason i like improv so much and i love stand-up for the same reason is because there's something about live performance mm -hmm. that is only so it can only happen in that space and the performance itself is dependent on that co-creative experience between you and the audience and what is happening in the molecular electrical you know explosion yeah. that's happening yeah. in the room or whatever yeah 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 and it does i would say that there's a there's a zone of sorts that feels a bit like flying so how do you bring that, I mean, if you're writing or if you are doing a reading for someone, how do you bring, you sort of like, how do you bring that in there? I, here's the thing, if I were to kind of deconstruct it, I think that the best way is to not be super dependent on the script. And that doesn't mean change the script. That means like find a way to not need to be looking at it or depending on it. You'd be surprised how much you know it by using it, going over it, you know, doing it, whatever it is. There's this weird thing that happens when you're very literally memorizing the words uh, verbatim that puts you into a cere cerebral space. Mm -hmm. But if you can kind of like, I think actually Robert Downey Jr. and I've never done this before. Robert Downey Jr. is like a like a memorization junkie. And so he would do a thing where he'd he'd write out the whole script and then he'd go back and he'd write every word by acronym by the first letter of the of the word and then if he went through those that acronym based script and didn't know what word stood for what he didn't know it that was like something i heard him say once and i so by acronym he would write out the first word of first the letter of every word in the script so it would be like afkd zyfi and if he didn't know that like that just his lines not ever, not the script everything just his lines, I guess. Line. Just okay. the things that were pertinent to memorizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the, not the action. How would he? So he would. That would be like code for him of just being able to. If he, yeah, he felt like he wasn't off book or he wasn't memorized until he could, he could identify what word that letter represented by looking at it, you know. And I might be butchering what his philosophy was, but, but. I'm not as much of a memorization junkie. I find that like when my muscles, when my when my muscles really strong from like reading a lot, doing a lot, performing a lot, using a lot of scripts, the the program at UCB for sketch, that mod team program is so amazing because you're you're 
doing so much live, you're dealing with scripts so often, you're getting off book and performing these new shows every month. Mm -hmm. And anything you can do to like have that muscle up where you realize if you're, if that muscle's activated, you can read through something a couple of times and have it, and you can trust that you have it and you don't necessarily, you haven't muscled it all into your head so that you have to actually think about the word on the page or recall it. So if you can find whatever technique works for you to get that information into you so that you don't have to worry about it when you're in the room, yeah. then, then, you, then you can be in the room and not really dealing with the script. And believe me, I have, failed <laughs> miserably at what I'm describing right now, but I've also had had my most, you know, and major you know successes. That, you know that you have to sort of take it on faith that you you'll it, if you use it that way and when it works, fine. If it didn't work then it wasn't in the cards. And yeah. I think meetings are those kinds of things are always there's sort of chemistry involved and yes. when it's supposed to happen. Yes, and definitely. And I think that the times when it didn't work for me is because I maybe I didn't have that muscle up and so I needed to have some second line of defense. So whether that meant like you know, these days I, I, I find that I just have to have somebody read it with me off off the page a few times. I can't just deal with the page before I go into a place. So you always bring in some, bring in a friend or colleague or someone, yeah. or a boyfriend, and you rehearse, whatever. You, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll at least read it, even I mean, if it's not acting. Read it. I'm in awe of memorization. I, I, you know, I, I sort of don't understand how actors can memorize. I, I could Robert Downey, whether he had a code or not, <laughs> I could even memorize an entire yeah. script. I don't. It, I know. Well, you, the, it is muscle and it gets up. It, and there it gets are other strong. people who are just like, okay, what are today's pages? And they block out the time and they. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm really not good at like this sort of functionality of memorizing. I'm good at being in the, I'm being a, performing so much that I am I am have that that gate open and I can do that thing I, I think I used to especially for I'm doing a better job now of of repeating it more with a partner so now my my numbers are more like I've got to read it by myself at least eight times and read it with a partner at least eight times but it used to be that I would be like very low on those numbers because I didn't want to like I didn't want it to feel to whatever mm -hmm. which I think was probably veiled laziness yeah it's like I want to feel fresh so I don't want to do it too Over much my, yeah I'm do it and then I'll be dead on it yeah so yeah I, now I have an agreement with myself about how okay, what the number is yeah and when you're writing or do you how do you do, how do you use your improv when you're writing you're working on a pilot now so what do you do you do you get on your feet with things or do you really just work on the page word what you're getting when you got your feet with I haven't done any recording but I I find like we're, I am a little, I weirdly have a good amount of mind for structure, like just in terms of like how rhythms should go and how much time we should spend in a, in a, you know, an exchange on the page. So the page does kind of help me, but when I find myself getting too literal, I've always actually been not a very good, I'm a great, I, I think, great at, uh, you know, natural dialogue and kind of like the writing uh, things that feel and sound conversational. But if I'm doing it on the page or staring at the words, I find that I start to get a little writerly about it. And um, I'll start like doing math on the words and that kind of thing. And, and so if I, and which can be good, I think that can be good in editing and I can be good in many ways. But I think if I get too locked into that and things are starting to feel not funny or not creative or not like they have life breathed into them, then I kind of have to not be looking at the page and talk it out and talk through it. And so by talking through it, do you record it or you just talk to it with your writing partner? So you work in the same room with the writing partner? Yeah. You'll talk. You'll speak it out, and they'll write. They'll write, and or you'll. Go yeah, back we'll put. We'll bop back and forth. Yeah, so you'll do like an improv. You'll do an improv on the scene that you're trying to write live. Yeah. And then transcribe it to the page. Yeah, and I. I don't think we go. I personally don't go that far in the beats of it in the improv, but I will like take the beat or idea of what needs to happen here and kind of go go into improv about how to say it and do it and get there. So it'll be, it's not like we've we've improvised three pages by the time we realize what the ha what's happened. We we know what ha needs to happen here in the scene and we have to kind of like talk and improvise out the most natural way of saying that and getting there and making that joke. 
and in terms of character creation, you you create the character, you create the characters on your feet more or less, or you imagine them out, or and then write them write them out on the page. Is that for this? Yeah, exactly? for the narrative stuff lately, we've been thinking about them and talking them out before. We've been doing a lot of pre pre imagining which has been really fun because I think we've created some really interesting and fun, unusual characters that are pretty rich and three-dimensional. We know why they exist and we know why they think what they think and we know what's funny about them. And we kind of have that all figured out, talked out theoretically before we get to script. And do you go out in the world, do you do a lot of observation to find the characters? I mean, do you go, and it's for a reason I jumped the idea like going down to Franklin Avenue or walking around Hollywood <laughs> or going wherever it is in the city or anywhere back and just looking at people and just identifying a character and then evoking some version of your interpretation. Yeah, yeah, that definitely happens. I think it happens in both directions. I was going to say not so much in on Franklin or in Hollywood because in Hollywood everyone's an actor. But I'm, in Burbank, I actually think that's what I like so much about being in Burbank, being just over the hill. It's like people are just people and you will run into those strangest characters and personalities and you kind of those those differences run a little thin when everybody's inside of the bubble trying to do the same thing mm -hmm. with the same motivations and the same mm -hmm. stimulus you know so yeah that's definitely true and i think i think it works both ways with that we're like i'll intentionally observe sometimes if somebody's that memorable or that affected but i also think that that's one of my favorite things about improv is you won't know when something bubbles up out of you. You'll be in a scene and within the situation, a character, you know, trait will bubble up out of you, a way of speaking or mannerisms or a point of view that you probably came across at some point, not super consciously. Yeah. So that's so the coolest. you're just unwrapping your own unconscious or you something, some, something you something that stuck with you or something that you picked up somewhere, somehow, it could have been any time in your life. And then just during improv, it'll just yeah. come out and then you'll kind of answer, will you then go ahead and answer certain questions about who, who is this person? Is there like a, uh, is there a way that you do that? Well, in improv, you're just in it already. They already agreed to this circumstance being the reality. And so you're not really dissecting or uh, asking questions about like people, I mean, you within the scene, you find out you're yeah. unpacking and you're just finding out that's actually the most interesting thing about improv is when people are doing a great job committing to this being the real thing that's happening right now and they unfold and find out yeah. this incredibly three-dimensional rich world with all of these psychologies and psychosis and all of like the things yeah. that go with it and the relationships and whatnot so that idea of unpacking the character, is that, is that, is that a term or you just said that? I think I just said that I think it's more unpacking the scene and within that you're finding out about the character as they react to things, as they respond in this environment or whatever. And then you may go back to that, that character may be someone where you think, oh, well, this is really, I really resonate or this, this really made me this laugh is my, or yeah. yeah got a response or, yeah you know, so, so like partially getting the response from the audience and partially how it feels to you yeah really feeling something sometimes I, fi I find myself I'm surprised by what's come up and out in a circum in a scene or a circumstance where I'm like I'm like I, I just didn't know that was in my wheelhouse or whatever and then like you're like I don't even know it's just funny. It's funny that you know that some kernel of it was from the world and environment and some kernel of it was from the situation that was created in the improv scene. Some of it is created by you, I guess, and it's this confluence of all of those things. And yeah, and that's that's the most fun thing about imp improvising in character to me. Because some people at UCB actually don't do a lot of character stuff. Like, there's a, there's a, the curriculum there is game based. So there's, it's about pattern and, and finding the most unusual thing and heightening and exploring that unusual thing and sort of a pattern that everyone's agreeing upon. Like, that's in a dramatic structure of the scene by the pattern, or what are we talking about? Yeah, we're talking about what, what UCB is taught, it teaches students is like, here's how you find funny. And they have, they have a system worked out and one that like sure isn't the only way but is a very very uh, smart and very probable way to find the funny in a scene it's like 
it's called game and you and every scene in UCB when you're watching improv at UCB will have this element which is the game of the scene and each scene starts from when the performers discover the first unusual thing if it's and that's usually the thing that makes people laugh first or whatever and that might be something that the performer is stepping out with and has already as a gift to begin the scene. We know what the game is from the first line. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's like a couple of lines in, then aha, you know, if it's two roommates and, or... And the game is decided before the, the audience throws out an idea? No, no, the game is found on its feet. That's like the real <laughs> thrilling part of it. The audience suggestion is a mechanic for just inspiration. Context. Yeah, con just inspiration for any kind of like, because it could be, people often will be like, oh, can I get a location? That's just an inspiration for the location. The scene won't be about the location, but if it's gas station, then you know, you know, maybe we've got debaucherous swimmers ruining a bathroom and we're off and running. That was a Ryan Locke and so, so one of the, if there's two people doing the scene, then one of them has to sort of establish the game within 25 seconds or something? Yes, but there's also this like gentle, you don't want to crowbar it. If you're trying to crow, that's, that's what comes along with experience and being more of a seasoned veteran versus, you know, new and the, the thing that you're learning when you're new is how to do it in a way that feels natural and co-creative without crowbarring your idea into the scene. So you throw it out more as bait or sort of like, a, and if the other person reaches for it or pulls on the thread because they see it as a thread or they, if they ignore it then... They might not see it and that's where you get bad improv. <laughs> that's a lot of bad improv. When people can't get on the same page, that's yeah. typically when you see bad improv. But when when people, yeah, pulling the thread is a good metaphor. I think highlighting it is another one. When someone like sort of sees that you've thrown out the, this idea for the game and they get it, they can it's then, like, oh. the next move they make will be highlighting that. I understand what the game is and here we go. And how does that approach for, and so do we see that in TV writing? Do we see that in film, comedy writing? I think well? so, for sure. I think you definitely see it in the more successful like SNL sketches in general. And then I think that, I think the best example of that right now is uh, Last Man on Earth, where they, they actually, I think within each scene, I feel like they have a great like track record for finding the game and beating the hell out of it within the scene so it'll be a scene that's functional in the story mm -hmm. but within the scene you've got a you've got a reason why this scene is funny mm -hmm. and it might not necessarily be why it might necessarily track to the story yeah. but they have a really good way of um of finding figuring out how you take an idea and you just heighten it all the way for so the sake of comedy. Fun? I mean, how do you make things fun? <laughs> how do you do that? Well, so what's that, what's the, what, how does the game end up being something which makes things funny? What's like the, is there one major headline of the strategy of how that works? I have, I'm going to probably quote like Ian Roberts, who I've had as a teacher. He's one of the founding members of UCB. I think he's like, all of those guys are incredible teachers. And, and I think Ian, I've, I've taken him a couple times because he gets into the philosophy of things that I, I personally need so much, <laughs> you know, like I really need to understand philosophically why all this. But I think in the most basic way that I ever heard him describe it in a way that helped me was... Um, just really that first unusual thing when things are unusual when they have a juxtaposition they tend to have a reaction within you because it's not you're not just going okay you know here's toast butter on the toast here's jam you know and and put it on a plate and then we sit down and all that is just normal activity but if you've got you know butter on the toast we got here's toast there's toast came in the thing we got butter on the toast and all right dear well have a wonderful day on the moon, you know, and there, there you're in a scene with an astronaut who's leaving for the day and you can have a whole scene about how this is, a, you know, they might be like on their last legs maritally and having issues and now we've got a scene about, you know, a marriage falling apart but this guy's got to go fly to the moon right now or whatever. I mean, these are terrible examples and I'm not, clearly not in, in. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, the first unusual thing or another way I think 
to describe it would just be yeah that that tautness that juxtaposition of like there's a tension between the ideas they're not just ideas that are necessary and that doesn't mean just like opposites make jokes but you know when things aren't flowing you know concurrent in an obvious way you tend to laugh yeah so there's a contrast between there's a, there's a contrast of things that are going on in terms of what sphere they're in in, in life in the world yeah and the way that our brains process them i think you know as uh, and has, has comedy changed over the, since you've been there i mean has there been like an evolution of how everything's are being done and what's you know i think somewhat i definitely think there's an evolution in terms of uh like gender relation relationship to, to comedy in terms of gender because i think that when i started there was still very much an element of there being like, you know, comedy could be too girly and that was not good or whatever. And that's obviously changed a lot over the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Um, and that's by no means saying that like we're, we're done examining that or whatever. But there was definitely, for me, I think um, there were not necessarily open arms to women in the same way that there may be a little bit more now. And, and again, we're not across any finish line. Yeah, in, uh, are, yeah it's evolving. Are, things are uh, evolving. There's, there's definitely an evolution. In, in the yeah, yeah. I think there's a more of a chance that we will, <laughs> you know, get to a finish line at some point. There's never a finish line, but we'll get to, we'll get to some balance. I feel like I don't think I was as hopeful for that when I first started comedy. And as far as um, the pot, you know, what, the need to perform, like in your own, how performing nourishes you and during improv, and if you were in a show where you had, if you were in a scripted show, would that be something that would satisfy you completely, or would you always need to go out and do stand up or improv? And you know, is that sort of like part yeah. of the instrument that? I think I would. I think I would. So it's funny. I was talking about this recently because I've been. Anytime I'm close on like a life-changing, you know, job or opportunity, something that might completely, because that's how it all is with this business, is that like, you know, you can nickel and dime along and have a lot of fun and be, you know, and eat and feed yourself and and do all of that. But sometimes you'll be in a situation where like this job could really change the course yeah, of your life or your schedule. world, change your schedule very dramatically. And I'm always like, and I know a lot of people are like mansions, you know, Ferraris or whatever, who wants for it. But I always think stage time. Like I get so excited by the idea of like, if you cross a certain threshold, I don't really care about being a household name, but I would love if that gave me the opportunity to be able to perform as much as I want to anytime, anywhere, any place in the country world because I do love performing and like it's and I'll never not I mean do you do, you do like stand, do you go like to and do open mics or go you know at midnight or yeah. somewhere or just do that stuff yeah I like do how often at least probably at this point at least three times a week and sometimes you know six and where do you go you for mics in town I like to go uh, those are few and far between for me now but I do like to go, there's uh, the Meltdown has a mic, UCB in Inner Sanctum has a mic. I started a mic at the Silver Lake Lounge like five, six, maybe seven years ago. I don't know, time, time is weird. But um, that mic is still running and I'll still go there sometimes. There's a, there's a mic at Flappers. Um, there's one at a place called The Good Night in the Valley in Burbank. But there's actually a great resource if you're a Los Angeles comedian who's looking to get up on mics. There's a great resource called the Comedy Bureau, and that's actually what I use on any given day if I'm like trying to work on something new or polish something up for an important thing set that I want to just kind of get up, get stage time, or hear something or try to workshop something. I'll go to the Comedy Bureau. Dot com and they have like this little Google Calendar thing, and it shows and what's happening that night. Yeah. And so, like, you, if you work something up, how do you, what's your, like, you wake up in the morning or after lunch or, like, how, how will the joke, how will the material arrive in your head? And will you write it down or are you just keep it all in your head until you get to the microphone? I wish I had more tactical strategies for that because I don't. I tend to not write a lot down when it comes to stand-up. I'll write a lot. I'll write for script for sure, but with my stand-up, it's like 
you know, if I'm if I'm like on vacation or something and it's going to be a long time until I can get to the mic because sometimes I'll lose things by doing that. Like I'll, I'll have an idea, a concept that I think is really funny. And if I can get to a mic that night, I can I can find it. I can figure out what the, the sort of thing of it is, what the premise is and what how it's supposed to feel. But if a week passes and I can't and I can't get that idea up on its feet, mm-hmm. I might forget what's funny about it. And you won't write it down. You, you won't like you don't like have a list. Even if I write it down, I will jot it down. I have my um, notes on my iPhone that that application. Yeah, it's just like a, the one that comes with the iPhone. Most all all my notes are in there, and I'm sure I will lose them all at some point. It's terrible. I try to I try to email them to myself every once in a while, but I'm not the best person because I've always been a little. Um, I've I've always had some issues with attention, so I'm hyper focused. I'm great, and when it comes to stand up and that kind of thing. I've always been a cocktail napkins, half on my phone, half in my email. I'll send an email to myself. It's not a good system. I'm not a good person. And so like, to ask. then you show up at the club, and you've like, what's your what's your day been like in terms of cooking this salon? What have you done? Not a ton. <laughs> and you just know I'm going to talk about you know my mom's shoes and that thing about my mom's shoes or. Well, at this point, at this point, I think when I was younger, character. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, how, how did you work that one out? I mean, I don't know. That was just a fact. <laughs> I mean, some of it's just punctuating the facts, I guess. But I think when I was younger, I think that's a, that tends to be a, a greener instinct is that you can kind of just show up and talk about something. I don't think that's what I'm saying I'm doing at this point. I know enough to know that I need to know what the beats are and I need to know what's funny about it and I need to know where it goes and how I want it to end. But I still, I'll jot down the notes in a sort of bullet form fashion, but I won't really ever script it. Because what happens for me with stand-up, if I try to script it, like, you know, I think a lot of writerly stand-ups would certainly say, yes, I sit down, I write it down, I beat it out, I rewrite it, I do all that stuff. I tend to rewrite it on stage because what happens for me is what I was describing in when I'm writing for script is that if I start looking at the words on the page too much, I'll get, I'll get for my taste, too writerly about it, and I'll start doing math, and then yeah. it will not feel. But and then, how many jokes will you? How many stories or things, different bits will you will you have for that open mic? Like five. No, because no, in LA you only get three to five minutes at an open mic. Oh, so you just have to so, so it's like one story. Maybe. Yeah. It's That's basically it. one new bit. You'll get up, you'll talk a little bit about the room or the day just to make sure you get them laughing or whatever, and then you basically have time for one new bit at an open mic. I sh- should have gone to an open mic, so I'm not asking you this. Oh, no. And do they signal because you? Do they, how do they give you the hook after that three minutes? Do you know? You get a light. There's, there's like, a light. Yeah. And you know you, if you want to go back there, you better walk away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to and get up within a do, minute. Do you ever feel intoxicated? You're like, I just want to keep going. This is going great. I, I have four more that I want to you know, I would never blow the light like that because it's just rude but I mean there are times where you're like I just got the light which means a minute and I have a bit that's two minutes that if I I I want to try to get through it so let me just try to do it fast and you kind of know you're not gonna do it in a minute but you have to do it anyway but that's the that's the most I would tease or dance past the light the story will just happen in your mind you'll just think of it you know or do you, do you force it do you, do you say I gotta think I gotta do this now or is it just everything just float in naturally do you have to like work ethic it, ethic it and say okay I'm gonna go I'm gonna drink this coffee or stare at this tree what's your situation with that I'm I think I'm uh I've always wanted to have more of a work ethic with like sitting down, but I'm not, I'm just never been a, a hands hovering above the keyboard type of at least with concepts, and that's what what jokes in in stand up tend to start with me with ideas or concepts. So with that kind of stuff, I've never been able to sit and look at a blank screen and have my hands over the keyboard and be like, okay, concepts, ideas. Although the truth is, but where do you percolate then? Just in my head. Just, just going to and fro. I mean, I try to get a good amount of exercise. I try to walk the dogs. I, I, I think that's all really important for me to have clear head. I think uh, getting like, you know, I meditate, try to get a lot of like, you know, oxygen in here so that I 
you know, I have all these little like strange things. I like to like kind of focus on a point on wood sometimes and like study the grain and not, not to deliberately come to an idea, but just to kind of like, you know, um, bring everything into focus. And yeah, I have all these little odd things specifically with stand up, but ideas I tend to like, I think I would be good or better if I had more of a structure. Like for example, I have a, there's a group of female comedians who are some of the best in the US who are amazing, incredibly talented, incredibly successful uh, writers and stand ups. And we, last year we went on this retreat to Ojai that one of them put together, Emily Heller put together. And the purpose of it was to sit down and kind of try to talk about process and try to educate each other on what we thought we needed needed to do better what we thought we could help each other with how we could hold each other accountable we started doing something where we would send out five topics to each other and like you so would prompts like idea prompts for yeah. each other to work on and yeah and we did it on we did it at the retreat we did it on site and they were great um, they were great writing exercises and they were the type of writing exercises you wish you could give to yourself some of us need a uh, you know, a uh, uh, physical, what is it? Uh, uh, who teaches you how to do sit ups? Uh, trainer. trainer. Yeah, a personal, you need a personal trainer to say, sit up now, two, three, all that stuff. And you'd be much better with that. But we also, like, need to just go run sometimes. <laughs> so I'm more of like a, I need to just go run kind of person. And I do do well with parameters, but that's why I write scripts and that's why I try to do things that have more structure because I think that helps me. I'm more of a like, keep operating all of the parts of the brain that help you funnel and focus ideas mm -hmm. than I am necessarily a hands over the keyboard. When it comes to jokes, I don't, I wouldn't write a script but in my you, head. I think it's, going back to sort of like, the part of the question is, does the joke come first or the desire or the sort of pre feeling this pressure to create a joke. So do you think what, you know, what, what you know, where's the next joke? Or mm -hmm. do you just sort of like walk the dog and the joke floats into your head? Yeah, both. Both, because you can, I think mostly walk the dog and the joke floats in. I think the other way of doing it is where you get really sick of everything you've been talking about or all of the material that you have like sort of worked on and worked out and figured out and developed and then you're like, I'm so sick of hearing my own the thoughts about those thoughts that you feel like you have no jokes. You feel like you have nothing to go to because those are tired, they don't, they don't feel inspired. And so all of a sudden you're like, I have no jokes. And then panic, yeah. <laughs> and then you create out of panic and I'm not the only one who does it that way and I'm not recommending it but that's that tends to be my process is that I'll get to a point where I like I, I want to I want all of that to be hindsight because probably I've grown as a person yeah. so once I've grown or gone through whatever kind of personal transition I've been evolving through while working on and workshopping that material, I'll all of a sudden be like, my basket's empty. And then that will, yeah, out of panic and fear, inspire me to start like coming up with some stuff or like mm -hmm. noticing things more. And that's also kind of like a time, you know, sort of like, you know, you've not done that for a while, so it's sort of like you've You've, repl you've replenished and there's sort of like you're in a new cycle, so mm -hmm. a new cycle doing some new creation. Right. And I think that that also speaks like my weird, uh, you know, non-mathematical process speaks to the fact that my jokes and subject matter aren't, they aren't, they don't tend to be like, you know, I guess mathematical in that way so it's like I'm never sitting around going like the thing with technology <laughs> and then working backwards from the idea that I want to do something about you know a universal thingamabob that mm -hmm. you know is going to be a successful joke and I'm sure there you know the the type of the texture of comedy and stand-up comedian who does work like that and they're very successful and you see them on Letterman and you, you know you see they're they're joke masters they're like really good at this sort of technical aspects of it and 
you better believe they have a system. I have a friend who is like all about Google spreadsheets and all about like has a system of like try the joke. If it hits on the open mic, you move it over to the next aisle, then you develop it. If it doesn't, you move it into this other bin of, you know, despair or whatever. <laughs> and it has a very exact system about all of that. And I admire that. And I am probably... I can hyper-focus and I can be very good organizationally um, and very good organizationally when it comes to like, you know, running systems or overseeing huge things, but with like the sort of like bubbly, percolating nature of certain aspects of my creativity, I'm a cocktail, cocktail napkins at the bottom of my purse Mm -hmm. kind of person. I'll have, I'll have jokes written all over coffee cups sometimes. I have paper coffee cups in my closet. They just like, you never throw, yeah yeah I just have bullet points all over them and like uh-huh. I don't know <laughs> someday millions will swim. Okay, so one last thing in terms of the chemistry of, and the and the networking and the community for young performers who go to PCB, um, how does that work out? I mean, it's always so random. You know, you hear about some people. You know, it's like. Mike, you know, Mike Nichols and Del Close met in Chicago, you know, in a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. All, you know, these group of people, they all became these giants of, you know, originators of, 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 of this whole thing. And so for someone who goes to UCB now, hoping to, you know, to realize their, to, to actualize these things they want to do, but also to find a community of people to work with. How does that, how does it work? I mean, how often do you see, when do you see it go well, when do you see it not go well? I think I see it go well most of the time. If you're enjoying it, it's always going to be beneficial. It's just going to be beneficial to your life. You're going to have a social aspect to it. You're going to meet, you might meet your wife, you might meet your husband, you might, you never, you know, socially, I think it's worth having that community because you know, you know how your 20s are, you're like, you just haven't figured out how to do anything right yet and you're you feel very lonely and confused and you're kind of just like i gotta get somewhere and you don't know where 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 is and it's all very stressful so having a community and i think ucb is really good at producing that environment i mean at this point there's literally like just a massive amount of space for people to come hang out and i see people now there doing what what I would have dreamed was possible at a time, which is that they're sitting at a cafe and a table room, a room full of people and they're, they're reading their sketches and there's an energy about it and everyone's reading their sketches and everyone's excited and um, they've found their, you know, through classes or whatever, they've found these other people that they're excited about working with and they're going to put it up at Shabby and there's no guarantee that that will all go well. Like I personally, for myself, I think that um, I struggle. I did a lot of that, but I also struggled to find people with whom you know our our talents or voices totally connected with. So I did a lot of work with a lot of people that maybe you know weren't the people that I was meant to create with. But I I I'm happy that I did all of that. I'm I'm glad for all of that time and. You know, I mean, that was many years. I I joke sometimes, I have another friend where like we were, before UCB opened, we were at this, um, this theater that was like literally like upstairs from a liquor store in a parking lot that like there was like a guy living in the wall and like half of the time it was rented out for AA meetings and like we're just like on stage there in this little you know podunk kind of confused crazy parking lot theater and trying to trying to get trying to create trying to make something happen and trying to like you know get funnier and like you know make things happen and and meanwhile on the other side of town there was one small room we found out later there was like this other small room in the basement of a a ramada where a lot of people who would eventually become our friends in comedy and they were doing a show called the pretty okay ho-hum spectacular on ice um (laughs) and there's like just a couple of other like places where you know cool people were doing cool stuff or like funny people were doing funny stuff that we eventually would meet and become you know friends with in comedy but it was really when UCB opened and there was this place where like all of these scenes or people could kind of cross-pollinate and then we you know like had this 
world with an epicenter, you know? And once we realized that, I remember years later looking back and being like, just laughing about how funny it was that we were just on the other side of town going, I don't know where else to go, man. <laughs> just like sitting up there sweating and, and just doing a lot of bad comedy in, a, in an AA meeting with a guy in the wall, you know? All right. Well, Emily, thanks. that's a great, that's an inspiring story. You know, these groups, find, people finding each other from the right, right yeah. into the hole in the wall. Yeah, comedy is a so good. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. Absolutely. This thanks for fantastic. having me. I'm really in my garage. It. Thank you. What, one last thing, though, before we go. What, 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 what's the next thing you're working on, and what other story do you need to tell? There must be some other thing that you want to uh, tell about yourself, too. To podcast, mm, to podcast, I wonder what story. I mean, I'm actually next. I'm excited because next month I'm going to teach some workshops to some of the um, the ladies of UPenn, funny ladies of UPenn, because they have a. Uh, I did I did a similar thing at uh, the comedy conference at Brown last year, and there was these were some of the gals that I met there with Bloomers, which is their um, their resident review, uh, resident all-female comedy review, it's called Bloomers, and so they're bringing me out to teach some classes or workshops and work with them, which is so fun. I really enjoy, I do enjoy being able to sort of mentor and teach and see what's up with these these young bloods headed this way. Um, so I'm excited about that, and attached to that, I'm doing a little bit of an East Coast tour. So I'll be in D.C. for two nights. This is at the end of September. I don't know when this comes out. Cool. Regardless. D.C., then I'll get that. up to... Where in D.C.? Do you know the club? I don't. Okay. I should. We'll look it up. We'll, we'll look it up. Know. And then I'll be in New York in New and then York. Boston. Yeah. So DC, Pennsylvania, New York, Boston. So look out for me on the East Coast at the end of September. It's September 15th through, I think, uh, 28th. I'm out there. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Emily. Thank you so much. And that's it for now. If you would like a PDF transcript of today's show or want to check out our schedule, you can get it all and more at theprocess.ink. And of course, we're on iTunes and all those other good places. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Benedict.